Hello and welcome to Cocktails, Mocktails, and Crimes. We're your hosts, Jill, Gracia, Dave, Don, and again, we're joined by our favorite special guest host, Steve. Hello. I think viewers or listeners, is that's probably more appropriate with a podcast, I was thinking our loyal listeners, you should let us know what you think about Steve as guest host, because we would really like to have him come on full time, but I think he's a little bit shy. <laughs> so, Gracia, would you like to tell us about our drink of the week this week? Oh, fuck. We're just doing wine, because <laughs> it's fun. So I belong to a wine club, the National Geographic Wine Club, actually. So it's fairly expensive wine. I get it every quarter. And this time they sent us a wine from Toscana Chianti, which is very nice red wine. I thought Delicious. that, yeah, the cherry flavors and the richness of the wine really came through. So this is fantastic. So anyway, the mocktail for this for Dave is nothing. Yes, again, there's no mocktail for wine because he hates club soda, which I have right in front of me, but he thinks it's disgusting. So I yeah. do promise you we have a few mocktails coming down the pipeline that are good. Anyway, <laughs> Dave, we're now at part three of Lizzie. So the trial starts really in June of 1893. Lizzie's been in jail for just about nine months, and they are going to hold this trial, and you're going to hear about now who actually prosecutes this trial, and that is an attorney by the name of Moody and a prosecutor by the name of Hussein Knowlton. Now, Moody will later become a Supreme Court justice, and Hussein Knowlton is a well-respected prosecutor. He was a good attorney. Oh, it's Hosea. Okay, so Knowlton and, Knowlton and Moody are going to be the prosecutors, and... The defense team will be a former Massachusetts governor by the name of George Robinson, and they will also have her original lawyer, who is Andrew Jennings. The prosecution is basically going to present a case that primarily rests upon a simple theory that Lizzie's the only person that could have done it, therefore she must have done it. That's really... All they have. Now, bear in mind that their prior proceedings, you don't have the threshold of having to prove beyond reasonable doubt. But now you do have to actually make this climb because they have not come really close to even, I would say, probable cause at this point in all their proceedings. And you could argue that there's at least cause, but they're definitely not evident beyond reasonable doubt. The defense, however, is going to, first of all, poke holes in the theory that no one else could have po- possibly have done this. They are also going to remind the jury repeatedly, Lizzie doesn't have to prove who did the murder in order to be found not guilty. And that's important to think about from just from a civics perspective. So when you have a case like this and your prosecutor's basic theory is that you're the only person that could have done it, they don't have to prove who did it. They just have to prove that this is not the only possible explanation. A totally different standard than now. Yes. It's the defense attorney's job to prove that maybe somebody else could have done it. Yeah. So the prosecutor says, you did it. The defense attorney says, um, uh, really? There's but maybe if, if there's an opportunity. <clears throat> so the, the, the state has such power and such resources that you have to presume that the defendant is innocent before yeah. proven guilty. 
And if there's any reasonable doubt to a moral certainty, you have to say, okay, the defendant's not guilty. Unless they're black. And even then, unless they're black, yeah. That's true, unfortunately. We might want to edit those. No, yeah. I don't think no, we do. I That's feel very reality. Yeah. All right. Okay. Let's leave the black comments in there. And and so this was being followed more or less at the same time. Okay. All right. Continuing on the idea of civics and what's going on in this trial, the prosecution is going to really not get off to a good start. What they're going to do originally, they're going to go over the house and stuff like that, but then they start calling the actual witnesses and they're starting to establish a timeline, which this isn't something that they had to do before. This timeline, though, is, I think, eventually going to help Lizzie's case a lot more than it's going to help the prosecution. You know, And there was a lot of protests. I guess I didn't mention this yet. So there's a lot of protests that are going to go on right in front of the courthouse as this trial is going. A lot of them are related to the idea that Lizzie was railroaded. But there's also the fact that, from constitutional perspective, Lizzie has a right to be tried by a jury of her own peers. But women are not allowed to be on juries in Massachusetts until 1951. Wow. So the jury of her own peers is 12 men. I did not know <laughs> And a lot of people will say that's <clears throat> at face level unconstitutional. She's got a right to have at least some women on this jury. Right. This comes up a lot in <clears throat> the African-American committee, too, sure. that they are tried by all white men. Mm-hmm. Like, how does this mm-hmm. yeah. factor? It's unfair. Yep. You said 1951? Until 1951. That was the year I was born. 59? Right. 51 was, was the first time it was in Massachusetts when women were first allowed <coughs> onto juries. So. Yeah. yeah. But on the count of Lizzie, she's not being tried by a jury of her own peers by any right. reasonable stretch. I just find that amazing. A hundred, it hasn't even been 100 years yet. And... It no, has not. it has not. It is amazing. It's only been a hundred years that women have had the right to vote. I know, which yeah. is amazing. It's, you know, think about it that. hasn't it's, even been a hundred years. Who's doing the math? We got, no, yeah, it, in relation to like you know. being on a jury in Massachusetts. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you mean nineteen fifty-one? Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Yep. Yeah. I'm just saying. To compensate. They should really take away the right to vote from all white men for at least thirty <laughs> or forty years. I, you know what? I'm Looking all with that, it. and I'm a white guy, so. And I'm 70 it. years old, so I'm all for that. You're not 70 yet. Slow your roll. Yeah, I got one month for this. <laughs> Pardon Slow me. your roll. All right, so the the major events that at the trial are going to start the prosecution, the, as we talked about. They start to establish a timeline, and basically what they're really trying to do... Uh, on top of that, in the early goings, at least, of the trial, is trying to establish that a woman could have done this. Because there is definitely a lot of doubt that exists in 1893 about whether or not a woman could have done this. Absolutely. Then they're trying to prove to you that physically Lizzie could have done it. And they're trying to present to you that Lizzie has this seething rage, this deep-seated animosity towards her father and mother. But they really fall short in this area quite a bit throughout the trial. They really do not establish that. But they at least establish to you, I think, if you read the trial, that, yeah, she's strong enough. That there's no question she could have strength-wise. So how many strikes did Mama get? She got 19 total. How about Dad? 11. Wow. I'd have trouble doing that, but okay. 
Yeah, so Abby has one strike to the side of her face, which appears to be the first strike. It knocks her pretty much at least over, but probably unconscious. Or a loop. And then the killer appears to have straddled her and first struck her in the center area of the back, giving two strikes, and then 17 times in the occipital paradial region of the skull, basically eradicating the entire back of her skull. I was going to say, aka back of the head. Yeah. yeah. So. True story. Yeah. It seems unlikely that somebody that she would have known would have just walked up to her and hit her from behind. Like, unless somebody she wasn't paid hit from the behind. It does not look side. like. It looks like yeah, she was hit by the from the side. If you were to take the evidence that we have, so she's about to put on pillow shams onto the bed. It looks like she may have seen the killer either entering the room or maybe the killer was hiding behind the doorway or something came out. And she appears to have tried to run towards the back area of the room and possibly turned around at that point, can't get away, and got hit. So that's what appears, but it's hard to say because they didn't take enough pictures of the room to give you a real story. But we know the shams. One is right near her. <clears throat> the other is sitting in the room just waiting. It's on deck. So it looks like she's about to put the pillow shams on, which is what she had told Lizzie she was about to do. And it would assume that she would be... She could have been at the rear part of the room at that point, but it would assume she probably wasn't. She was probably on the other side. So we can guesstimate that she might have run from the assailant. Okay, but let's like tell a true story because we've all been, most of us have been to this house. Yep. This room is Thank you, Steve. tiny. There's like almost no walking room. So there if you were not. an assailant to try to straddle up someone that you're murdering and then take off and run for it, there would be footprints, right? Because this is a small room. It's maybe 10 by 10 at the most. And then where she was found, there's a bed, her, and a bureau, and there's almost no room for anything else. Like her feet extend past the bed, like the Wicked Witch of the West when that fucking house landed yeah. on her. It, there's not a lot of room. And bear in it's... mind, too, she's 200 pounds. <gasps> oh, God. So she is not a small woman lying in no between shit. a bed and a No, She wasn't bureau. very tall. So... No, she was 5'2". So yeah, was so 200-pound 5'2"er? She's yeah, like I a think, little sausage. You know what? I stand corrected. She was definitely either turning towards the assailant or... Because she runs it, you run out of space because there is a door that would have led you into Emma's room, but it was probably secured. So there's a bed, there's a bureau, there's a body. Like, literally... Yeah. See what I'm saying? It'd be so hard to get out of that without leaving footprints, without getting blood on yourself. And we're going to talk about the lack of footprints, not just in that yeah. scene, but in and in general. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, because that's a big deal. Yeah. When you think about who might have done this murder. Back to though the prosecution's case, and so the prosecution is. Um, also going to do a pretty good job trying to poke holes in the story regarding the note. And the story regarding uh, the note right. is probably, in my mind, this is the most incriminating thing for Lizzie. Is that it's pretty well established that she told her father and several other people that Mrs. Borden had a note. Had told her she was going to go out to see a sick friend. 
and she tells her father this right when her father arrives. There's never been a note found. Again, we talked about this last week. There has never been anyone coming forward saying, I was the person that delivered that note. And there's never been a friend that's come forward and said, yeah, I was the person that was sick and I had sent for. Yeah. And so, so to recap, that was a note for the mom, for the Abby. Mom. Yep. And Lizzie said that note was sent, She's right? right yeah. So but when her father first able to... came in, yeah, her father's like, where's your mother? And she's, oh, mom had a note and she must have gone off to see a sick friend and to the market. But then Lizzie said, oh, but maybe she came back. Yes. Later she on. Hint that. Yeah. 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 Crazy neighbor lady, Mrs. Churchill, will come over. She's going to be the first person to go into the house with Lizzie after the murder takes place. She's going to testify again. Now, crazy lady, Mrs. Churchill, testifies that, number one, that Bridget was actually the person who told her about the note. So there's an interesting thing about Mrs. Churchill. But Mrs. Churchill also testified that when she went over to Lizzie, this is right after the murder takes place, neither body has actually been inspected. And Lizzie says to her that she uh, thinks her mother came home and was also dead. So this is very early into the case. And I can't make a lot of logic out to Mrs. Churchill if she's maybe just confused. But it seems like it because she's the only one that will ever tell you that Bridget was the source of the note. She's also the only one that will tell you that Lizzie said mother's dead or that even Andrew was dead at that point. Lizzie told people that Andrew had been hurt. She thought he might have been stabbed. But she's not saying that he's dead to to Maggie or to Alice when Alice arrives. So, so th- then they know. focus on the dress pretty early on in the case. Again, the corduroy dress. The blue cord that got destroyed. They have Alice Russell testifying, obviously, because she's the one that witnessed the destruction of the blue cord dress. And obviously. obviously, she is also the person that brings up the somewhat more incriminating story also about Lizzie, and that is that Lizzie had told Alice that she was concerned somebody might try to kill her. So (laughs) Alice Russell testifies about the dress. She testifies about the conversation she had with Lizzie and the fact that, according to Alice, Alice had to remind Lizzie to tell the police about this mystery man that Andrew has the huge argument with and now the what's going to happen though with Alice's testimony the defense attorneys are going to do a good job mitigating it one of the things they're going to point out is obviously you saw this blue cord dress for 30 seconds you knew it was a blue cord why don't you know for a fact whether or not it was the same dress that you saw Lizzie wearing for hours they did a good job I think at least casting a lot of doubt into that area of the testimony. And then the next thing that they do regarding the her talk with the police is they at least present the idea that you might have only heard Lizzie talk about the argument after you reminded Lizzie about the argument, but she was certainly giving other information to the police. Maybe she just hadn't gotten that far yet. Maybe she was collecting herself. So Makes that was sense. Yeah, that was there. So they reduced it. I think if you listen to the case up until the Alice Russell testimony, the Prosecution is doing okay. So as the case progresses, though, you are going to have Hussein Knowlton and the horrible, terrible, no good, very bad day. 
And he I saw a good this book. Movie. Yes. I saw this so movie. So he is going to bring on some Dr. experts. Now the state is going to call the expert. Dr. Wood is going to testify that none of these hatchets seem to be the murder weapon. And that obviously doesn't help matters if you're the state. There's no blood on them. He talks about the cow hair. Of course, we talked about the cow hair last week. So he talks about the cow hair. He talks about the fact that there's no blood on the hatchets. He also gives a pretty good idea of the time distance um, between Abby and Mr. Borden. And he gives it as it could have been within two hours. It's probably closer, more like to an hour and a half. So that's still pretty far apart, but we'll actually be able to narrow it a little bit more. He gives also gives about it's about an hour to an hour and a half after Abby ate that she he assumes she died as well. So based on the stomach contents, he rules out any poisoning in the stomach. This is going to be important in a little while. He rules out any poisoning in the milk. He was provided the milk from the house. He was provided other foods from the house, which he investigates, and he finds that there was indeed no poisons. So, no the, poisoning the milk. That was your question, Steve. Yep. Yep. So he did rule all those things out. So there's no poison, as far as he can tell, that impacted the Borden family. Interesting. So the next expert that's going to testify is going to be a real problem because they're going to show the skulls. The actual skulls. I have photos of those from Dave. Is this when the bodies got decapitated? Was it yeah, so I guess we didn't mention this in last week's episode. We found out at the preliminary hearing that when they had confiscated the bodies during the uh, funeral, they decapitated them. They boiled the skin off normal? of the heads. It and doesn't feel normal. No, it wasn't well received either. The press really tears them apart for this. And his bringing up the skulls, of course, just shows the jury something that's pissed off the entire country. That, hey, we took these people's skulls and buried them without their heads. And we boiled all this skin off. But then it gets even worse because... It almost sounds like witchcraft or something. Yeah. Like it sounds a little... It's macabre. Something. Yeah. Like they were cutting off the heads to investigate the injuries. That makes sense. So, okay. To investigate the so, injuries? That makes yeah, sense. Yeah, they wanted to. Back then, yeah. Yeah, because they wanted to see if they could measure the injuries crazy. in the skull itself. So, right. okay. <laughs> For whatever reason, they've decided to boil off the head and. No one's picturing brain. a stew, like, at this point. St. Patty's And now the D- district attorney is going to have his expert try and fit the hatchets into the injuries in the skull in front of the jury. And this is very OJ. This is actually worse than OJ because what ends up happening is there's only one Don't that seems to fit, and that's the broken hatchet, which the state is already pretty much convinced that this must be our murder weapon because it's the only murder weapon that seems to make sense. So he manages to start fitting that in, and then Lizzie faints. So the jury is definitely sympathetic at this point to Lizzie. Mm-hmm. And um, so this is really embarrassing for the prosecution. But they're desperate. And the interesting thing that gets pointed out by the defense attorney in closing arguments is actually that the injury should be longer than the head of the hatchet or the axe if you were to use it. Because you're moving it in and out? Yeah, but also think of this. If you hit something with a hatchet... 
much like ice. There's like the crackles. It, yeah. Yeah, crackles around it. So the state, the defense attorney will at least present the theory that actually these are too small or that it had to have been a smaller instrument to do these particular. And do you injuries. know what the defense attorney said? What? If it doesn't fit, you must acquit. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. Fucking OJ. <laughs> Who knew so. Lizzie Borden and OJ were sympathetic? <laughs> sympathetic. Have you found the <laughs> white Bronco in your notes? <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's another interesting thing that will come out of the expert witness testimony. Now, this seems to pass by a lot of people's notice, but I want you to, for a second, the listener, to think about if you were swinging a hatchet, right? And as you swing the hatchet, and you cross a certain point, if you're standing up swinging a hatchet, as you cross a certain point, the angle of the hatchet starts to change because it's coming back towards your body. Now, one of the experts was starting to speculate, gee, I bet you whoever killed Mr. Andrew Borden was a bit taller than 5'2 or 5'4. Uh, because of their so, swing. Because of the swing. Makes sense. So this becomes a little bit ignored by future references, but it, it, it's a point worth making now. It could also be that maybe Andrew got knocked down and was picked up at some point. I right? get knocked down, know. but I don't. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you're never going to keep me At any rate. That couch is low, so I can see it. If you're tall, the I was, angle of attack would be coming back towards you. Actually, and I was, and I was that's just, what he's noticing, and that's what makes yeah. him speculate yeah. that. That all makes sense. It I was, does. I was yeah. just teaching my kid yesterday how to swing an axe. You got to make just sure you teach my kid how to commit an axe murder. This is a great story. Steve, be quiet. You got to keep the object in front of you, two feet side by side, facing the object, two hands over your head. Oh my and gosh! Downwards. No, and that's all... a good lesson. Yeah. Steve, how many yeah. kids have you killed? Um, <laughs> you know, like, if you have to survive, that that is a thing. By killing No, wood, trap. chopping, like, these things are necessary. Yeah. I agree. You don't want to miss your angle on the axe murder. Yeah, for yeah, sure. Well, you no, you want to miss the angle on the wood. Because if you try to get warm in the fucking woods, it's fucking cold. Yeah. It's a life lesson. It is a life lesson. Yeah, I important. agree with Steve. Murdering is definitely a life lesson. <laughs> but Dave, continue. <laughs> okay, the next thing that's going to happen as a result of... The prosecution's basically just made an ass of itself pretty good. Clearly, they've been proven to not have the murder weapon. They've they have fucking nothing. that they have the actual height of the killer. So they decide that now they're going to desperately need to pull something, so they try and get Lizzie Borden's testimony from the inquest admitted. This is the problem that they're going to hit, is that not only was Lizzie told by Mayor Coughlin on the Saturday prior to the inquest that she was a suspect and that she wasn't to leave Fall River or her house, it turns out that one of the police officers had a warrant to arrest her and was instructed not to arrest her right away. They wanted her to testify at the inquest. So this means that, according to the judges, she was testifying to the state as a suspect. 
and she needed to have her lawyer present had she requested it, and she also needed to be advised that she had a right to remain silent. Wait a minute. I thought Miranda rights didn't come up until the 60s or the 70s. They didn't come to the Supreme Court until the 1960s, but the right Massachusetts remain, was very different. Yeah, the right to remain silent is in the Constitution. Is it really? You have the oh, right to remain silent. Yeah. Wow, I had no idea. Yeah. Fifth Amendment. Especially if you're a woman. <laughs> no, not if you're a woman. If you're anybody, you have the right to And in fact, up until really fairly recently in the state of Massachusetts, the defendant couldn't actually testify. And you shouldn't want to if you are a defendant. But this comes up several times in the closing arguments where... You know, because they've now given defendants the right to take the stand for their own defense. Yep. And, of course, Lizzie's not going to do that. And so her defense attorneys have to really remind people that you can't hold that against somebody if they decide not to take the stand for their mm -hmm. own defense. I also um, feel like I'm confused by the inquest. Like, why can you use this against her? Uh, I feel like it's something that was like a preliminary investigation from what you talked about before. Because she... It really was, wasn't. But they lost it. But they, they lost screwed the her over. They lost part of the volume. But yeah, so the thing is, though, if you're having an inquest, you're bringing everybody in as a witness. Mm -hmm. Now, in that case, sure, what they testify to, you could present. But what if that person's really a suspect? And that person not says, the truth. I do not want to answer questions from the district attorney without the presence of my attorney which she did. Mm -hmm. So had she not said, I want my attorney present, it may have become admissible. But she had said, I want my attorney present. So fucking smart. By the way, so. even if you're like innocent and somebody asks you a question about murder, you should always ask for your attorney to be present. Absolutely should. Yeah. Yeah. And, and she did. And so it, the, the question really came down to, was she forced to testify without her attorney before the state? and to give information to the state and not be explained to, you do not have to, even at an inquest, you do not have to answer all their questions and she was never explained that, so. Matter of fact, the judge, when she asked that, made it sound like, ah, uh, yeah. But I feel like people don't understand that in general. When a cop asks you a question, you don't have to necessarily answer him. No, you don't. You don't have to give any incriminating information. No, so. but I think that's a big point, that she knew more than other people do even today. Yeah. Yep. It's a great point. And that's why they decide to basically say, no, the inquest testimony is out. And then they try to have Eli Benz, our very sexy pharmacist. <laughs> sexy, sexy. <laughs> Totally he posting a picture of him. Next to that. And Fucking love his mustache. A little bit more. This is questionable to me. That he's sexy or? No, <laughs> no that's, there's no question about that. He is, he is January yeah. in the January calendar. Is he he's January, January through December? December. <laughs> like, I feel like December is always like the hot month, so I feel like it should be December. Yeah. So. Do tell, Dave. But anyway, what is questionable <laughs> is should he have been allowed to testify? Uh, the defense objects and. Eventually, what the court rules, and I go over their logic, his identification of Lizzie isn't 100% certain. And nobody in the house was killed with poison. Mm -hmm. And anybody with pull-apart pants. <laughs> yes. <laughs> pull-apart so, pants. Based on really those two points, they decide that, no, he can't testify. And then, of course, the prosecution's position was, 
we're not trying to prove that they were killed with poison. We're trying to ki- prove that Lizzie had an intention previously to kill them. She would have used another weapon. But the court decides that, no, it's too prejudicial, not certain Oops. enough, and decides to say, no, it's not admissible. Makes sense. So, at that point, the prosecution is pretty much going to put in one more person, because they haven't finished making a complete ass of themselves. <laughs> and this person is the matron at the Fall River holding cell. And so, right after Lizzie's arrested, there is a news report that says that the matron overheard an argument between Lizzie and Emma, where Lizzie tells Emma, you gave me away, and Things mm-hmm. like that. Now, the reason this is going to embarrass the prosecution to even bring this up is because right after this report came out, of course, it was immediately denied, and then several members of the press and several other people actually go into the building, talk to the matron, and the matron actually says this never happened. And then according to these witnesses that the defense will put out, the matron was about to sign something saying it never happened, and Rufus Hilliard told her, you can't sign that, I'll fire you, basically, is what these witnesses say. However, the prosecution is going to say to, to put her out and say that she did observe this conversation between Lizzie and Emma. But then she confirms, apparently Lizzie knew about the egg experiment thing, that you can take an egg, and if you're holding it at the two points, you can't crush it. So what? Lizzie, That's news Is that me. true? Yeah. yeah if you That's hold, true. Yeah, if you hold it at the very top and the very bottom, you can't break the egg. I'm trying to try that. So, oh, we're doing yeah. the egg challenge next? Is that what's next? So Lizzie apparently knew of this and made a bet with the matron that the matron couldn't break an egg. And so the matron had somebody, and Emma's there, and they all had this big, long laugh about the matron not being able to break the egg. And this seems to already create some doubt as to, really, they were having this huge fight, and then all of a sudden they got into this, like, bet on breaking an egg, right? So it's definitely skeptical, and the, the, but once the prosecution rests, like I said, the defense is going to basically throw up a bunch of witnesses who say, I was there when the matron said this never happened. And I was there when the matron said she was going to sign something. And I was there when Rufus Hilliard told the matron if she signed it that she would be fired from her job, essentially, (laughs) in so many words. So that, of course, really doesn't go over well with the credibility of the prosecution, Rufus Hilliard, and and the matron herself. Mm-hmm. At this point, the prosecution, though, is going to rest. And the defense is going to start by calling several witnesses. And we'll talk about really quickly the first group of witnesses are going to testify that there was a strange person in near the Borden house. And one and two will actually put him on the Borden property. Now I've read their description of him. He's a man in his late twenties, possibly early thirties, seems agitated. There's not a lot you can really read out of it, but two women that were with a baby in a stroller actually put him at the fence, said he was hanging over the yeah. fence of the board and property. It's enough to make you say, uh, okay, maybe. maybe Things that make something. go, hmm. Yeah. It wasn't a strong 
thing. It wasn't like, okay, aha, uh-huh. there was definitely somebody else that killed um, this person, and the cops jumped to conclusion. And the next thing they're going to start to testify to is the night before, there were the neighbors, the Shannon daughters, Shannon daughter and the Shannon stepmother, are going to testify that they heard a very strange sound somewhere around 11 the night before the murders. Sounded like somebody banging on something at all hours. This I've never really understood the relevance because it's late at night the night yeah. before. So and that's I mean, after they like had dinner and yeah, and it's the yeah, mutton. Yeah, it's eleven at night, uh, Wednesday. The murder happens twelve Wednesday, hours later. But just trying to get in on the fame, maybe. Yeah, and they're. I think they're trying to. The defense is trying to paint this. There's a lot of people just in the area randomly that may be up to no good. Next. <laughs> Thing that we're going to hear from though is actually quite interesting. It's an ice cream man. Ooh, ice cream man. I love ice cream. And I like the so snow cones. He is mm. pedaling by the Borden house about five or ten past eleven. And he saw a woman come out of the barn and head towards the house. Look at that. That would have been the barn where Lizzie was eating the pears. Lizzie. Mm. That was Lizzie. Yeah. And he says that he knew Bridget. And it wasn't Bridget, because apparently he goes down 2nd Street all the time. Bridget always buys his ice cream. Yeah, she does. So. <laughs> <laughs> we love Bridget. And other things. She's a shit. She, <laughs> she was tired, as we recall. Yes. Yeah. So at any rate, he's saying that basically he sees somebody. <laughs> and he also says that he told Officer Medley about this just around the time of the murder, maybe the Monday or Wednesday. Mm -hmm. Officer Medley doesn't seem interested, and Officer Medley's reason seems to be, he said then it was 10.30. Here's the problem I have with Medley's defense. At this point, this close to the murder, if somebody had said 10.30, that would have been right around the time they thought maybe Abby had been being killed. Right. They hadn't oh, set, yeah, set a timeline right. yeah. for that yet. So somebody basically told them that there was somebody unaccounted for wandering on the Borden property at the time. Of where, the first murder. Of the first murder could have happened. I mean, they didn't know. They just had this very big window mm-hmm. that she was killed sometime between 9 and 10 quarter of 11. They narrowed it down more later, but then we're going to have somebody else, his name was Charlie Garner, testify that he knew that the ice cream man was running late because the ice cream man was at his stable. At what time does he say? He says he left just after 11. Now his stable is on Mason Street, so if you were pedaling from Mason Street to 2nd Street yeah, seven to ten minutes maybe at the most. Mason Street isn't that that far away. So, you know. I also feel like these little parts are important because cops tend to like derail when they have a little part. They're like, oh, that's not important, so I'm just going to ignore it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think that is important information. Yeah, it is. It's important. If you believe these two people then who else could have been coming out of the barn 10 past 11? It seems to confirm her story. The fact is that you're going to see that this officer Medley now has even more things to create questions to his credibility because 
He is the officer that said he had gone upstairs into the barn. And he had said that there were no footprints on the dust of the barn. And he does this, he tries to narrow his timeline from when he was testifying at the inquest to maybe a little bit past noon. But the problem is we have several people called by the defense that say they went into the barn and several testify to having gone upstairs and they all say that it was well before noon when they were doing this. Mm. So if he can't, how did he not see all these footprints? His credibility really is at this point almost non-existent. And Rufus Hilliard's is also damaged. And so parallel to OJ, the credibility of the police becomes a major issue yep. here. This has been a theme throughout our whole podcast. Mm-hmm. A lot of these are very so similar. Then I actually told a friend, she's like, I'm like, if you're pro-police, you may want to take ours with a grain of salt. Because there are a lot of mistakes by police. Yeah, tons. There are mistakes, and there mm-hmm. are times where they are making know. mistakes and covering their ass. That's the problem. That's is they the get something in their too. head, and they can't get it out. Yeah, they're well-intentioned people, but they're people. Mm-hmm. You, they are people. It's so, human mistake. And people are not flawless. The next thing is going to be Emma. And this is going to probably wrap up the defense anyway. So Emma is going to testify in part that, yeah, Lizzie and Abby don't have the most wonderful relationship on earth. It's important to note that a lot of the testimony, nobody ever suggests, oh yeah, Abby and Lizzie were lovey-dovey. But they do deny that Lizzie has any types of huge animosity towards Abby. They do confirm that Lizzie was not happy when... There was a property purchased for Abby's... Half-sister, yeah. Yeah. And certainly they were upset, but they don't deny that. But Emma makes clear that she had a worse relationship with Abby than... She definitely did. So Emma testifies about that. She testifies about the dress. And I guess last week we covered what Emma said. Mm -hmm. Just to give a very brief overview, she says that the dress had gotten accidentally covered with paint or got some paint on it when Lizzie was running out to show it to her when the dressmaker had finished with it. Because Lizzie's an idiot and ran into a wall where there was wet paint. (laughs) Either that or she just rubbed up against it. I don't know how... Was she a cat in heat? It could happen. (laughs) It it could. Like, I've painted before and it gets on things that you don't think you're going to get. So... At any rate, that was the explanation for how paint got on to the dress and that Emma also basically indicates to the court that it was really more Emma's idea than Lizzie's to burn the dress. Hmm. That was what Emma basically says. Whether that's actually true or not, who knows. She's but covering for her sister. She's covering, Perfect. I think. Yeah, yeah, that partnership is interesting. So the basic major other points that the defense will make is that During the time after the murder, the police are frequently going in and out to just look around, to go through clothes, to take off floorboards, to rip apart chimneys. Lizzie, nor Emma, nor anyone in that house ever once tried to interfere with them. They told them, just anything you want, you can search anywhere. Which is interesting, because if you were guilty, you think you would be like hiding something. Sorry, true sorry. And and that kind of wraps up the defense to the case. And so now let's talk really briefly about the timeline. 
So John and Bridget disagree on who specifically woke up first, but they were both up sometime between 6 and 6.30. And they come downstairs, and shortly thereafter, Andrew will wake up. Andrew will go outside and empty out his slot pail. Li- poop bucket. Yeah, his poop bucket. And slot pail sounds like food. <laughs> it's not food. Depends on what you're at. Thank, thank you. Slop reminds me of food. Uh, slop? So, yes. It's their poop pail. It's their poop pail. Bridget is bringing in the milk, and then she's going to unlock the screen door for the ice mask. So there's going to be a short period of time in the early part of the morning where that rear door is actually unlocked. When the ice man comes in, she brings in the ice, and then she locks it again. Mm. Abby comes down right around 7, tells Bridget what she wants for breakfast. It's going to be mutton, Johnny cakes, fruit. That kind of thing. Between 7.30 and 8 o'clock, they're going to start their breakfast. In the a.m. In the a.m., yes. And they are going to finish somewhere in the area of 8.30-ish, maybe a little bit after. And then Mr. Borden is going to go into his sitting room. Uncle John's going to accompany him briefly. Then Uncle John's going to leave a little bit before 9, probably about 10 minutes of 9. He's going to be let out the rear door by Mr. Borden. Mr. Borden would presumably have re-secured the rear door. Yeah. There's a lot of locking going on for this time. Yeah, and they definitely tend to keep their house They live in up. Fall River. Because they were robbed. And they remember been robbed a week ago? They I live in Fall oh, River, people. Shoot, I don't want to yes. say this out loud, but I don't even lock my house. 8 o'clock, or 9 o'clock, rather. It is almost. Um, it is just about 9 o'clock, and we're going to see Lizzie. And Lizzie is going to come downstairs. She's going to tell Bridget that she doesn't want Bridget to fix her breakfast and that she might have a cookie, cookie. coffee kind of thing. But Lizzie's not feeling terribly well. She says, no, Maggie, fuck off. Yeah, no, Maggie, go fuck yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Irish bitch. Yeah, so <laughs> she tells Maggie that. And right about now, Mrs. Borden is going to give Maggie her instruction that she wants Maggie to clean the windows outside and inside. Um, So my husband's done with you, my daughter's done with you. I'll go wash the windows. So yeah, she's been asked to wash the windows. She goes outside and vomits Baby, I love you. Because she's obviously sick. And she gets some pails. She ends up Bumping into the Kelly maid. What's the Kelly? <laughs> What's the Kelly maid? maid? Is the maid of the Kelly household? Next door. Next door. The other Irish drunkard. <laughs> so there's a Kelly hospital? No. No. It's <laughs> a Kelly family. Oh. And they have a maid. They said hospital. Everybody should have a maid. <laughs> they have a, a maid. Girl. And they. <laughs> She's apparently chummy with Bridget, so they... And they're, like, on the same side of the house, I think. From what I picture, it's, like, right next door. Yeah, they are right next to a store, and they're both outside, so they start having a chit-chat. And they both would Mm. testify that for about 10 to 15 minutes, they will have this talk. Uh Chummy. Yeah, this puts us about 25 past, roughly. You know what? It just occurred to me. It took longer to kill those, or took longer for us to describe it than it did to kill those two people. (laughs) (laughs) David, are we 25 past 10? 25 past 9. 
Nine. Nine. We haven't made it to 10 o'clock yet. In the morning. <laughs> done okay. the conversation, and she's had her, con uh, she's come back, got her done. pails. Now, sometime at that point, too, in the morning, about the same time, Lizzie had obviously come out and asked Bridget if Bridget was going to be washing the windows. Bridget indicated to her that she would, and specifically says to Lizzie that she need not lock the back door, that she'd be right out there. So we believe from somewhere around 9.15 to 9.20, that door has been unlocked, and we have no reason to believe that anybody would lock it back again until Maggie had come inside. I agree. Until 10.30. So, unless Lizzie actually did, but we don't know that. Okay. So we go back inside, and Lizzie is saying sometime around 9.25, 9.30 is the last time she's going to see Abby. Abby has been cleaning up in the guest room. She has made the bed in the guest room. And so Abby comes downstairs. She comes down to the basement to get pillow shams. And she goes back upstairs. She talks to Lizzie briefly, tells Lizzie about this alleged note, and that she's going to go out soon after she finishes up in the room. She only has the shams and a couple other things to complete. Is this testimony? Yeah, so we can speculate that maybe Lizzie was not telling the truth. Because what time do we think she dies? So, if we were to base only on the medical analysis that came from 1893, they put her death sometime really between 9.15 and 10 o'clock. But we can narrow so that's kind of where that was. We can narrow this a lot further and say, okay, she probably is alive to clean the room and make the bed because Lizzie, but she dies in that room she does die in that room so but she died with purpose <coughs> she was putting the shams on and she's i'm dead yeah. she finished her housekeeping her chore she well she hadn't finished her housekeeping because the shams don't get put on no the wonder bed. she was murdered oh so this is how we can fix her time so that makes sense when she got back up She's got to be killed pretty quickly because it would only take, what, two minutes to put Shams on a bed top? So two seconds, yeah. So, I think you could do it in under a minute. Yeah, so she obviously was killed pretty quickly after she had entered back into the guest room. And Lizzie puts that timeline to be around 9.30. And, of course, and maybe is, they followed her up. It's very possible that they could have followed her up. Yep, and it's very possible that they were already up there. Yeah, one of the theories, David, was that this note, we get back mm -hmm. to the note here. Yeah. The guy showed up with the note, gave it to her, followed her up as she prepared to go meet the person who supposedly mm -hmm. sent the note. But instead, that person killed her, took the note back, and left the house. So that's one theory that I, I don't... It's as good so as many that, theories, uh, yeah. Yeah, so... At any rate, she dies sometime between 9.30 and 10 o'clock. But we can also say that too close to 10 seems a little wrong with the digestion. And around 9.30 might be slightly early. So we're talking maybe 9.35 to 9.50, yeah. some, somewhere in there, is when she's probably going to die. At 10.45... Andrew Borden comes home and originally he's gonna go upstairs just for a couple minutes into his room mm -hmm. 
Now, mind you, you cannot see the guest from the path he would have taken because he would have come up the rear stairs to get into his own bedroom. And to get to the guest room, you have to go up the main stairway. So he goes down, he goes up, he comes back down, probably was up there five, maybe ten minutes, according to Bridget. Then Bridget is going to have a very quick talk with Lizzie about a potential dress sale. Lizzie asks Bridget basically if she wants some dress material that was being put on sale. And Bridget says she would have some later. And then Lizzie advises Bridget to go take a nap before making the noontime meal. Bridget goes upstairs. She claims she heard almost immediately after she got upstairs and lied down on her bed she heard the town hall at chime 11. At the same time, of course, is when Lizzie's saying she makes her trip to the barn. So Lizzie, if she makes her trip to the barn, let's assume for a second Lizzie's telling the truth. She makes her trip to the barn for whatever she heard that brought her back to the house. That's probably about 10 minutes later, given the testimony of the ice cream man. So she was probably more or less in there 10 minutes or so. Even the three pairs sounds like 10 minutes, not a half an hour. Yeah, it really doesn't sound like a half an hour that she was in there. But at any rate, so she comes back down. She goes into the kitchen. She transitions to the dining room. She says she looks into the sitting room and she sees (laughs) the blood. She goes out. She gets Bridget. Bridget goes to fetch the doctor. Doctor's not home as Bridget comes back, she's sent to Alice Russell's. Now, right around here is where Mrs. Churchill has arrived, and Mrs. Churchill asks Lizzie what has taken place. She might just be old and very confused. At any rate, Lizzie says father's hurt somehow. According to Churchill here, Lizzie says they're both dead. Both mom and dad are mm-hmm. dead, whatever. This conversation, though, somehow got overheard by a person passing by who then went to a nearby store and called the police station. And the police officer will actually note the time of the call to be 11.15 a.m. 11.15. Yeah. Wow. So that's that 15-minute window. Yeah. yeah. There is a close window when you think about it. That's mm. way too close for too Lizzie. Close for Lizzie. It really is. And the blood like spatter this. really throws it off for me. But yeah. yeah. This is the other points to make about the crime scene. Where Mrs. Borden is, where Mr. Borden is, of course, there's enormous amounts of blood, but nowhere else. There's no blood trail whatsoever throughout Mm -hmm. that house. Which Um, is crazy, because if a murder, usually it spans out, right? All of us know. Blood is very messy. You get blood on yourself, you leave trails of blood. Yeah, especially with the hatchet, because even if you're not doing that big soup thing are like doing this you have to get your you your momentum down. yeah look even yeah. like so this. it should be behind you it should be all over yeah, yeah. so there should be blood right done covering the killer <laughs> and the walls and, and the and carpet, carpet and the yeah now, there was one one movie with uh, <coughs> the montgomery actress where they what they speculate was she was naked Yes, and they, they speculate that in the heavy right, metal she's movie, naked too. naked or not naked. But Wall splatter? Couch splatter? I'm gonna hear, splatter? I'm going to tell you why you? that doesn't make... M- Mrs. Borden was killed right as she came up the stairs with the pillow shams. If Lizzie was even the killer, let's think about this. She's got to follow Miss Borden up, then go into her bedroom, get all of her clothes off faster than 
Mrs. Borden could have put the pillow shams on the bed. I don't see that happening. And put them yeah. back on. There's so Jill was just saying there should be splatter on the walls. There should be splatter everywhere. And I'm not sure that the has been portrayed. Is, you know. So we're all saying, oh, there should have been blood splatter on the bureau, on the couch, on mm -hmm. the walls. That wouldn't have been something for them to think about. So the murderer would have had to have thought that far in advance to wash the bureau or There's to no wash way. the walls or didn't have time wash their whatever. Feet. Yeah, their feet or whatever. Because that would be the right? thing you'd, you'd get. Well, and we'll talk about why uh, my theory of who the only possible suspect I have is. <laughs> but at any rate, so you get the murderer is going to have killed Mr. Borden. And let's assume it was Lizzie. She's got to kill Mr. Borden. Sometime around, very shortly after 11, she's got to kill him after he falls asleep. When they say on average that's four to seven minutes from when you lie down and you close your eyes till you actually enter the sleep state. So you're actually talking like 11.07. You're talking 15 minutes, 11.15 is when the police actually got the call. Yeah. And Bridget had run across and back and... Yeah, you got to remember, so Bridget he, heard the yeah. chimes, 11. Yep. 11.15, cops get the message. Yep. Lizzie comes back in, says that's when she came back in. It's 11.15. 11 to 11.15. Yeah. Whoever did it, she couldn't have done it. She couldn't have. However, she could have been part of a conspiracy. Right. Sure. Yeah, so let's hear, let's let's hear what David has to say. That. No, yeah, let's just hear who your alternate theories are. So my biggest alternate theory is that this was John Vinicum Morse. And what the uncle that let me sense. give a couple reasons why I think that the first is what I mentioned mm -hmm. about the blood John Vinicum Morris was a butcher mm -hmm. he is used to slaughtering things and knows how to clean things like that up so he's not dripping blood all over the place and that's really the only explanation for there not being a huge blood scene in the right. house like other parts of the house. And he's known to carry a cleaver. And bed. whose side yeah. of the family is he on? Is he, he on? He is a, the... He's Lizzie's mother's brother. Yeah. Okay, so real a bunch brother. of my friends think that he was the real killer too. Yes. Um, because they think that he didn't like the dad. So there, yeah, and then this is really where the, the problem kids. comes in, is where's his motive? And because the police just accepted his alibi piecemeal no one's really ever looked into that yeah. especially at the time so we don't have a lot of information about what might have been his business dealings but him and mr borden had a lot of business dealings so it's possible something went south in one of those they did argue the night before they seem to have argued the night before bridget there is a theory that he was having an affair with Bridget. Poor Bridget. Interesting. Uh, Everybody's every, I, There's a, there's <laughs> a theory for everybody. Bridget would walk outside and all the pets in the neighborhood <laughs> She can barely walk. <laughs> uh, so, that poor woman. So she, he is one of the many people that there's a theory. I feel like a lot of things that I've Bridget. heard about him, though, are that he's vindicating his sister. That his ex-wife, the mother of those two say that he was it's like just, that since his father was so demeaning that he was liberating his children he was liberating emma he was liberating lizzie is what i've heard from people who are like do you think it's the the brother-in-law and i'm like i don't know i haven't got to episode three yet yeah it goes with now that dave says that it's his first suspect it makes me go maybe so the one thing i don't have is the motive 
I, I couldn't. There's a lot of theories. Is there like life insurance or any so kind of So he a will wouldn't have gotten. Anything? So no, Mr. Borden doesn't have it. That means everything goes to Emma. Okay. Between, supposedly. Supposedly they had a talk at some point. Supposedly. So yeah, it could have been money. It could have been because he, he wasn't as wealthy as Andrew, but he certainly had wealth. So it's also possible that he could have been doing something shady. And he was worried Andrew had either had found out or was inevitably going to find out because he may have been doing these businesses through customers. And Andrew was Andrew's such bank. a straight arrow that if there was something not right that way, he would have probably exposed yeah. him. Yeah. The butcher part is very interesting, though, because we all talk about the blood spatter. Yes. Yeah. So that part really sticks out in my mind. So even for let's say the maid did it right. Yep. She has the same problem Lizzie does. She's got to get cleaned up of the blood. There's, yeah. And there's almost no way you could. There's almost no way in that short amount of time. Like Don was saying, the timeline just doesn't fit right. with the blood time. spatter. No. But the, if you want one that fits, it has to be the uncle house. It really somewhere in there. Which is so funny because three of my friends said him. And I was yeah. like, I don't know. He's I don't know who he is. the person I could think of that could have done that without leaving. Because it's not just not getting the blood on himself. He didn't leave a blood trail. So can no, I ask like a weird enough. question? So there's no blood on the walls. There's no blood anywhere else. Is it possible that they were murdered somewhere else? No, no but if he gets a drainage over, right. Um, no. He'd have to hit them just right, and the drainage would have to be right. Like, he'd have to be very precise in his cuts. This is yeah. wild. Uh, again, 11 to 11, 15. So now you're talking about not just Very not precise just, in his cuts, though. Not just moving and putting them back, but... Very precise in the cuts, and then washing any possible splatter off. And any then hiding. Area. He'd have to hide that front closet. There's yeah. splatter around the bodies. Oh. When I say there's no mm -hmm. blood trail, once you're in any room other than the ones that the bodies are in, there's no like, there's nothing Which like is crazy. a trail of blood. You know what they you say about a perpetrator who does a crime? He leaves something right. and takes something. What did he leave? What did he take? Yeah. So I mean, nothing. That's the the crazy part of this one. Yeah, but I could one could speculate a lot of motives that could possibly have been there for John Morris. And again, the reason you don't necessarily know one is because no one looked for one at the time. Okay. And now there's no real records of what were his exact business. Yeah, the, the only thing that's said now is his alibi was too good. What was his alibi? So he says that, and I was going to get to this alibi and why I think it doesn't make sense, he says he goes to the post office, goes to his nieces and nephews, and that at 11.30, he leaves his nieces and nephews. He takes a car basically back to get back onto 2nd Street. Now, this is the thing about his alibi is that, number one, he said he was leaving his nieces and nephews at 11.30, However, Dr. Seabury Bowen was actually the doctor going to a house call at the very same place. Mm -hmm. And the people That's there, interesting. the cousin says, as Seabury Bowen was getting there is when John was leaving. That means he left there at 1030. So he has an hour yeah, and a half. Yeah, the timing that's not is off. Accounted for. As soon as you said the Sebring thing, I remember <coughs> you talking about that before, saying this will yeah. come to play. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the timeline's really, he's got an hour and a half that's not accounted for now. Wish we could ping his phone, motherfucker. Interesting theory that one could have. And this is why I said leaving and coming back is also yeah. a possibility. 
had somebody else mail the letter for him. Yep. And then, so when Andrew lets him out, he just walks around the area and gets back into the house. Mm-hmm. Kills Abby. Then he leaves again, goes to his nieces and nephews, then gets back and kills He had him. an appointment with Andrew at 12. Yeah. But why would he do it? Well, and that's, it, it's He's hard hiding to, something. It's probably something like that. My hiding guess something. is he was doing something shady with it's, money. It's well, can we talk about his sister, though? though? Like, you have to have, think about it. Like, his sister was the first wife. There has to be something more that we don't know about that. Yeah, I, mean, I feel like yeah. whacking I mean, somebody with an axe more than three times. I think it might have been a business transaction thing, illegal and and Andrew Borden was such a man that first of all he would be the one to catch on to it because yes. he knew about what everybody was doing at Fall River Business. Yeah. The other thing oh, about yeah. Andrew was he was a Boy Scout when it came to things like that, so he would tell on you. If he, he was, would. but Abby, like this. I think was Abby ever, was an accident. Whoever at accident. Or I, I remember who slept in that room. But she gave I, him more. He gave her more hits. So I think, I don't uh, think she was so much an accident. That was the replacement for his sister. I'm if you think Gracia. about it, I don't Gracia. think she was so much an accident. Okay. But he had a relationship with Emma. So if he killed Mr. Borden, but not Mrs. Borden, those two girls are probably going to be out on the streets because yeah, but it, Abby is not going to keep them so he's probably thinking the perspective is that either Bless you. I take out Abby or I'm gonna be stuck with I just I, I think don't know. the two are a, a twofer I think you have to kill mom and dad I think he meant to kill both of them I don't you think you have he... to have the passion to kill mom and dad that's where I'm struck it's like it's very we don't know for mom a lot of hits for mom I feel like he was almost yeah. like I don't know, vindicating his sister or something? I don't know. Another person I know that wrote the book Cold Case to Case Closed, which is also one that proposes he's the suspect. One of their theories is that he's having an affair with the maid. He actually came back to the house to get Everyone has an affair with the maid. Nobody thinks Emma did it? Well, so I'll get into Emma. Let's talk about Emma, because I feel like Emma's a strong case. So this is my case against Emma. Emma could not physically have done the murder. However, Emma could have possibly hired somebody. She could have actually been involved with John Minica Morris to do it. Because one thing Emma does have that she won't need because she's in Fairfax is a key to get into that house. Hmm. So she could have easily had have hired somebody to kill Abby and her father. Now, also bear in mind, Lizzie's expected to actually be away this week. So Lizzie was expected to be in Marion earlier, but because of a church report that was due, she basically decides she's going to stay in Fall River and she's going to go to Marion basically after the church that day. Mm -hmm. And then she'll stay over and do her fishing and all that. But Emma would have expected Lizzie's not going to be there. So I feel like Emma's a very good candidate. Like every time she came up throughout the conversation, I was thinking Emma was a very good candidate for the suspect. She's very good for motive. Every motive you can Every motive you can think of. And she is more cunning. I feel like Emma and Lizzie together have a great motive. So this is the thing. Emma and Lizzie together, I don't think Lizzie's just going to do all the work, right? 
No, but I think they need a partnership to make sure the right and people are in the house. Ha- the they could have right. even got their their uncle. See, I don't that know. would be the thing. Like, if Emma was the one doing it, I think she would have done it when Lizzie wasn't in the house. So the two people get killed. The only person that was there was the Irish maid, and the Irish maid gets blamed for it. And she's just her name. Her name is Maggie. Nobody cares about her, anyways. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think so, that's what Emma thinks. But yeah. if they were like in league together, then so Lizzie could have could be true. Lizzie could have allowed the perpetrator into the house. I don't know if Lizzie's that doors ca- were unlocked. So I don't think that Lizzie sure. would have co-conspired with Emma because Emma wouldn't have done it. But Emma was like her mom. You said that in the... But I think Emma too. was protecting her so well, she wouldn't have said fine. anything. Yeah, so... I think like Emma would have done it independently just, of Lizzie. Yeah, she wouldn't have had her sister be the only one to do it. If Emma but she was, could have done it with the uncle. She could have done it with the uncle and they didn't expect Lizzie to be home. But this is where you get, when you start getting into this territory, which is probably right, there's probably some kind of conspiracy here we can, nobody can see. But there's so many players that could be playing a conspiracy. It gets endless as far as speculation. It does, yeah. So Deb, so I would say this, Lizzie Borden in and of herself did not physically kill her stepmother and her father. I would have. She could have been involved in a conspiracy, okay. I would say the same thing about OJ, he did not physically in and you of would say the same thing about OJ. Kill somebody, and we'll cover it. But we will cover it. That's not a New England um, case. That doesn't totally erase you from guilt. It doesn't mean you didn't hire somebody. You yeah, didn't it know about. Yeah, you weren't involved. Yeah, I couldn't rule out Lizzie for. being involved. Yeah. But if Lizzie is involved, it's probably more like with John. Like, I don't see Emma putting Lizzie in any danger. I don't see Emma John. putting Lizzie in danger. Uh-huh. I think John and Emma are my two. But John Emma was Emma. my first, and then John was my second. So there's John and Emma, there's and Lizzie And then there's the Emma. freaking sexy guy, the sex machine. Yeah. I, I don't know. think anything I do with just, it, but I think you liked it, and he promoted it. Yeah. I would just say, like, me and Gracia, if we were going to, one of us was going to kill someone else. We'd be like all in the truck together. Yes, that's I, why I don't think I'm not, I'm not giving anything up for but him. But if Steve were going to kill somebody and be like, Jill, Grace, you get in the truck, I would think we'd be like, oh, I don't know. Yeah. Steve, we don't know you as There's well. There's a different kinship it's, it's with women it's to women to between women to men. And we, I, think, I think Terry mentioned that me and yeah. Jill would literally kill somebody together. Yeah. That was a mention. Yeah. <laughs> Again, when you're talking about co conspirators, see, this is one of the things we're that. We're a team. We know you have to go just chill. But this one is, more minute. This is, but I think Emma is. I'm Emma and then I'm John. So, yeah. And you're and John could, and then I'm you're Emma? John and I could see Emma even being possibly have been involved. Yeah. In- okay. So after this whole thing happens and Lizzie gets out of jail, Lizzie and Emma, and I don't know about John, but they move into the big house in the nice neighborhood mm-hmm. and leave their slum digs yeah. behind. So their life does get exponentially better as a result of the death of their parents. Absolutely. Here's the thing. Mm -hmm. So that you can clearly see what especially Emma's motive would be. Because Emma is guaranteed if Abby and then Andrew die, as long as Abby dies first, Emma is guaranteed to be the sole inheritor. Mm -hmm. Now she ends up splitting the money with Lizzie. And Lizzie may have been... Because she loves her. Yeah. 
And Lizzie may have anticipated, let's say Lizzie was the killer. She probably would have anticipated that Emma would have split the money. You know, so you have that, but Emma definitely is the one with the guarantee. She's guaranteed to get the money. Correct. She's also the one that has the worst relationship with Abby. And she's the smartest. I think she's smarter than... Anybody in that house. Right. She... I actually... I don't know. I think she, like, plays this card, but she is definitely... She's conniving. It doesn't... Smart doesn't necessarily mean, like, brain smart. Yeah. It means, like, she has the street smarts to do this. Well put. Yes. Yep. And I think Emma is my number one contender for that reason, that I think she could have pulled this off... And, and yeah, she could have. And the thing is, like, especially back then when there wasn't as much accountability. If you think about co-conspirators too, so Emma's not around, so she's co-conspiring with somebody that there's not a similar story. But like John and Lizzie don't have similar stories. Lizzie and Bridget don't have similar stories. So when you're talking about co-conspirators, when you hear them both tell their story, it sounds like they rehearsed them to the other because they actually did. And you don't see that with Lizzie matching up with anybody else, too. So that's one of the reasons. I don't know that Lizzie would have been involved. Even I, if, do, I don't think she's involved. Yeah. I think she's a kind of a scapegoat. Cause, yeah, because she would have had a better alibi. She wasn't supposed to be there. She's involved. I feel like she's co-conspirator with her uncle and her sister. I feel like this the three of them. It's a threesome. Yeah, threesomes are yes, hard. Yes, because the the uncle shows up right before the murder happens and Correct. decides he's going to crash for but a couple then, days. So why doesn't she have a better alibi? Because yes, I David, think that right. they underestimated how the police would look at a woman. That's why I think she's too smart for that. Can we go to the one thing that I said that Bridget, her live-in boyfriend, her his cousin was the head lead investigator. So. I think things went different because of that. Like, back then, if you're related to the cops... So, the thing is, if, okay, so if Lizzie's going to let in John so John can do the murder, Lizzie's just going to go to the dress shop she already mentioned to Bridget about. I feel like maybe she needed to make sure, like we said, like the door had a weird lock on it, it had an issue... I feel like she's making sure whoever perpetrates the crime is able to come in and get out... And make sure that the maid is taken care of. I feel like they underestimate a woman, or they thought that a woman would be you underestimated. Don't think Emma could be that. No, because she's away. But she's Emma's, not. She could have hired somebody. But oh, she could have been in cahoots with her uncle. Could have mm-hmm. given her uncle her key, knowing what he was going to do. So could Lizzie. So Lizzie could have given her key to her uncle too. So Dave, tell us. So Lizzie Borden was acquitted. Like, yes. how was that? Was it like a hung jury? Was nope. it a was acquitted. unanimous acquitted. or one what happened? Which OJ would have been after two. one hour? After only one. The case against Lizzie Borden is horribly weak at best. To say, these are the things. You have a note that's hard to reconcile. Mm-hmm. You have an odd alibi. You have a peculiar alibi. Mm-hmm. But it's not one you can rule out. No, not at all. And it's not. And it is one that there's... Especially at the trial, there's an ice cream man who doesn't know her uh-huh. who cooperates it. Which I thought was very important. Like, I don't think so, anybody else... That's an outsider. Yeah, it's unless Lizzie somehow managed to get to this person and give him some money or something. It's just... It's hard for me to understand how this person just came forward to tell us about this. And that doesn't... There's still some things that are hard to reconcile about Lizzie, but the final thing is... She could not have cleaned up. 
It's just not possible. I actually tend to agree with you. That's part of why I asked. Like, is it possible these people were killed somewhere else and brought in there? Because there's got to be so much blood. Andrew was just recently killed. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But that's why I think John is such a good candidate. John and Emma, for me, are both good candidates because they work together. And and he knows the way that bodies drain blood. Yes. Ew. Yeah, because he's a butcher. butcher. He's a butcher. So you know those common things of the way that bodies, when you hit in a certain spot, the way they're going to drain. Yeah, He couldn't have done it without getting a drop on himself. It's like Dexter, He would have gotten very little on himself. Do you know Dexter just filmed in Gardner? He did. He could go upstairs because he doesn't have to leave. Remember, even if he got found in the house. He doesn't have to leave, but he wasn't found in the house. No, he wasn't. Because it makes more sense for him not to. But it's there's a lot, a lot of places he could hide. He can, But he can go right upstairs where the original murder happened. He can hear everything that's going on in yeah. the downstairs. He can clean up the rest that he needs to clean up there. He, he uses his meat cleaver, probably, that he carries around with him. He goes... Did they ever look at that meat cleaver, by the way, no. Dave? Do you know? They That's fucking him. crazy yeah. that they, they didn't even test it. always believed him. Because every hatchet that they tested didn't test. But no, they no. were all ones found in the house. Yep. So how do they say like a hatchet killed if you don't even know that? Yeah. It's just based on the size of the injuries. But we don't know for the fact uh, that she was, either was killed with a hatchet. Hmm. It could have been a cleaver. It wasn't like... But a cleaver could be pretty big if you look at oh, a meat yeah. cleaver. Oh, yeah. They're pretty big. Yep, it could have been a cleaver. So the jury deliberates for about an hour, and they discover that Lizzie Borden is not guilty, and she is told by the clerk that she may go about her day. Lizzie will continue with her life, and her... So wait, go about her day, but she's been in prison. Yep. So she gets out of prison at that How long has she been in prison? Nine months. Yeah. Holy fuck. And now she may go about her day. Yeah. That minor delay from what you were up to nine months ago. Now you can get back to it. Yep. So Lizzie goes about her days. She and Emma purchase a home in Fall Rivers Hills. They name it Maplecroft. That was like the wealthy area. That was the wealthy area. It was also very unusual in the north to name your estate like that. Mm -hmm. It almost seemed like a passive aggressive Kind of thing. Because that's yeah. really common for southern plantations, yeah. but not for northern homes. They basically ostracize her. A lot of the people that she was previously involved with, her mm. church won't allow her to attend anymore. She's pushed out of most social circles, except for the ones that are fascinated with her. Because there's always people like that. But, yeah. but the, she's still not like a part of the social circle. She's like yeah. a species that they're yeah. evaluating, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. And her and Emma, they lived together for until 1906. And then in 1906, they become estranged, and nobody's quite certain why. There's one theory that it was due to Lizzie's relationship that she develops with an actress, mm-hmm. and that this relationship might have been homosexual or lesbian, however mm-hmm. the Whatever. term That's is fine. now. And that Emma didn't approve of that. That's certainly possible. We just don't know. But they never spoke again. We do know that. But Lizzie has an axe murder movie suggests that it's because Emma decides that Lizzie was responsible mm-hmm. for the murders. Yeah, but I don't think Emma actually said that in real life, did she? No, Emma never no. says that. No. no and, and, but I think yeah. Emma just takes a step away from her sister because it's just creepy. 
We don't know. Honestly, nobody knows. They never spoke again. Because Emma did it, guys. So we don't know. And neither one of them would speak on it. So one way or the other. So. And even when they died, nobody said anything. Lizzie will die just before Emma, nine days before Emma. Nine days. That's like a wife-husband thing. Yeah. And after Lizzie dies, Emma still does not say anything about why they became estranged. Emma will go to her grave, though, defending her sister's innocence. If you're enjoying our podcast, then subscribe. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts today. Or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Cocktails, Mocktails, and Crime. Or on Twitter at Ann Mocktails. You can also send us requests for stories that you'd like us to cover, drink ideas, or anything that you want us to know. Give us your feedback. We'd love to hear from you. We also have an email address. It's Cocktails, Mocktails, and Crime at gmail.com.